Welcome pod. Welcome back into the Chris Mathis podcast. I am your host with my brother, my co-host, Spencer Mathis, a.k.a. Frick Vape, a.k.a. at L Savage Spence on Twitter. Go check him out. Check me out at the Chris Mathis podcast or at the Chris Mathis. The podcast is TCM underscore pod. And we appreciate you guys and your continued support here uh, following our podcast over the last year and about a month now at this point. We've had a lot of fun and we continue to hear back from you guys and See it in the reviews on Spotify. We can see you guys leaving those five-star reviews. We've got 19 or 20, which is really good for a small podcast. So if you guys are on Spotify right now, you'll see five stars. Scroll over, select all five stars, leave that uh, review. Tweet us, Instagram, DM us, text us if you've got our number, the whole nine yards, and uh, we'll get to your comments or your questions. Also on Apple Podcasts, the Chris Mathis Podcast, you can also leave a five-star review. We've got a big show to get into today. Uh, The big three headlined by Jeff Saturday, first year NFL head coach as he takes over the Indianapolis Colts and we'll get more into his first game as head coach of the Colts. We're talking Tom Brady and his life post-divorce on the football field, that is. And also an update on the Washington Commanders and the Philadelphia Eagles, too, as the Eagles fell short to the Commanders, suffered their first loss of the season on Monday Night Football. We'll get into that and much more right here on the show. But I do want to shout out our sponsor, Information On Demand, whether you need criminal background checks, drug screening, uh, drug screenings, E-Verify, academic accreditations, or other screening services, they've got you covered. It doesn't matter if you're here in Florida, if you're in Hawaii, if you're in New York City, they can take care of you, even those of you in Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee as well. Uh, go check out Information On Demand. They're fast, they're accurate, they're reliable, they're affordable. Pre-employment background screenings, give them a call today, 855-914-4636. You can check out their information in our bio. Also right there on the bottom of the screen, information on demand, 855-914-4636. And they will get you the information you need in just eight hours or less, as Spencer has said time and time again, and just uh, one night's sleep or less. And Spencer, let's start things off with Tom Brady and, of course, he recently was divorced to Giselle uh, a little bit over two weeks ago at this point. And since then, the Buccaneers have won two straight games. They beat the Rams two weeks ago in Tampa and uh, at 425. And then this past Sunday, they beat the uh, Seattle Seahawks, a red-hot Seahawks team, right there in Germany. First ever regular season football game uh, in the NFL in Germany. And it was pretty cool to see not only a great game, great atmosphere, but also as Bucks fans, as a reporter for the Buccaneers here at 953WDAE, it was cool to see the Buccaneers come out on top and win their second consecutive game. And Spence, with that, Tom Brady 2-0 uh, since his divorce to Giselle. But before we get into that situation, let's talk about that Bucks victory on Sunday. What did you see out of the Buccaneers? What impressed you the most from that victory as the Buccaneers beat the red-hot Seattle Seahawks and they now have won two consecutive games after going on a three-game losing skid. Yeah, speaking of sleep, speaking of Tom Brady, speaking of Giselle, Giselle already has a new boyfriend. She's already sleeping with her previous yoga instructor, which is pretty incredible because there are already pictures of them working together whenever Brady was with her, so that leaves a lot to be desired on Tom Brady's part of this. But 2-0 since the divorce, ever since he's gotten out of the house, doesn't have to be around the kids as much. Uh, probably joint custody, so every every other week they come see Tom Brady and go to a football game. Brady sees him for about two hours Tells him good night, and that's about it for the week. But for Brady on the field, 2-0 since he divorced Giselle. 
Uh, touchdown game-winning drive against the Rams to beat them two weeks ago. Then against Seattle last week, you saw that victory in Munich, Germany, in which Tampa Bay dominated for most of that game. The only thing that kept Seattle in that game was Tom Brady going out wide for a pass against one of the best cornerbacks that intercepted the football this year, Tariq Woolen. He picks off Leonard Fournette for his sixth or seventh interception as a rookie. A horrible match, a horrible matchup for Tom Brady, a horrible throw by Leonard Fournette. Brady slips, makes a tackle, but Brady in this offense have simplified things a lot over the last two weeks, and you can see that. And running the football, the Buccaneers ran the football 44 times for over 160 yards against the Seahawks defense, which is pretty good. And you saw the emergence of Rashad White this week, and I think going forward he's going to be the starter. So that's going to be huge for Brady, a new guy to check down to, a new running back that will spark the offense. And I think we're going to see that going down forward after this bye week in which Byron Leftwich's job is safe. Everyone is 620, like you said, was saying that he's not going to get fired after that win against Seattle, a game in which they completely turn around their offense, ran the ball 44 times for the first time since 1979, the Buccaneers doing this, win the game with that running method. And Tom Brady also played a really good game besides the interception he threw to the linebacker trying to force one to Mike Evans. Other than that, Brady played great. The offense looked good. The defense played great again. They're a top five defense this year. They stopped the run. They shut down the rookie running back, Kenneth Walker, that the Seahawks have. And I think the Bucs played Probably their best game of the season, at least for the first three quarters of that game. Was the outcome of that game uh, bigger, whether it be good or bad, for Seattle or for Tampa Bay? Obviously, Tampa Bay improves to 5-5. Five and five. Seattle kind of gets a reality check. Is Seattle going to lose often? Probably not. I do think that they're legit. I don't think they make a serious playoff run. They might win one game. Uh, but I think they're a, a contender in terms of getting to the playoffs and having a good rest of their regular season. Was the final outcome of that game more beneficial, more detrimental to the Buccaneers or to the Seattle Seahawks? And they could go either way. Yeah, well, none of those teams, quote-unquote, had to – that was not a must-win situation for either of these teams. If the Bucs lose, they're still first place in the NFC South. Granted, it is a tiebreaker with the Falcons, but they're still in first place. If the Seahawks lose like they did, they're still a game above the 49ers, even if the 49ers won, which they did. So, the, so that loss for the Seahawks didn't matter too much. They were on a big win streak of four games. They were looking great. They dropped the 6-4, and four, which is a great record, in the top 12 of the NFL. So Seattle's still a good team, but down the stretch, that, that could be big because Geno Smith did not look good in this game. And the 49ers are a team that's only going to get better as they learn how to use Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey as a tandem. Kittle's picking it up as well. Garoppolo's, all he has to do is check it down now. He's got three of the best check down targets in the league on one team. The 49ers are going to be great going down the stretch. They're probably going to be one of the best teams in the NFC this year. They'll definitely be one of the six uh, after the wild card that are still available in the playoffs. So I think for the Buccaneers, this was a huge win, even though it wasn't a must win. Going up one game over Atlanta, who Atlanta's not really a threat, as you can see that. I mean, before the before the beginning of the season, if you were to say that Atlanta was, was to be four and six with the roster that they have, you'd be very surprised. And they're, they're four and six somehow with that roster. Marcus Mariota throws away the game against the Panthers. They could easily be five and five, six and four. But they're not, and I don't think going down the stretch they're going to want to win these games as much as they did early on in the season because Mariota's not the guy moving forward. Desmond Ritter, obviously, it can't be good if he hasn't been played yet after the Mariota performances that we've seen this year besides that one game where he only threw one incomplete pass. Ritter's not a great quarterback, obviously, and that's not looking good for the Falcons. So I think this was a huge win for the Buccaneers in terms of playoff contention. But regardless, this isn't going to end up, end up in, in the Buccaneers being better than the fourth seed because – there will be three better NFC teams in the Buccaneers throughout this entire season. 
Before we get into those three teams, I do want to kind of interrupt you there on the the comments of rookie quarterback Desmond Ritter. I don't think Atlanta wants to throw him into a fire early on. We've seen it time and time again. Young quarterbacks get thrown into a pit of fire, and Atlanta's doing well considering that their roster isn't stacked. You've got Cordero Patterson and uh, a good defensive back, Kyle Pitts, who's underused. They don't know, they can't figure out how to use the tight end Kyle Pitts out of Florida, who is a great talent or expected to be great talent in the NFL, but they can't connect. They can't find him. They finally try to target him more than eight or nine times on Sunday or on Thursday night football last week against the Carolina Panthers. But I don't think that it's Desmond Ritter's a bad quarterback. I don't think we've seen enough from him to say that. I think it's more or less of Atlanta playing it safe because if they did draft Desmond Ritter like they did and then they throw him into the pit and he does terrible here in this last home stretch of the regular season, what uh, I guess seven regular season games left. If he looks bad, Falcons fans have already moved on from Desmond Ritter in his rookie season, whereas if they wait until the start of next year or wait until late this year and see if they have anything in Desmond Ritter or if there's any room for him to grow or how he can grow, I think that would be the right, right move to make overthrowing him into a pit of fire. As we saw with Justin Fields last year, Justin Fields looked terrible. Of course, he had a different coaching situation than he does now, but Fields looks comparable now at quarterback – uh, he, he can run the ball really well. He finally is at least comfortable to take off of the football. His offensive line is awful. But I think Justin Fields is a good example of a young quarterback that was thrown into the fire too early, and we saw that last year. Yeah, but it's not throwing it into the fire with Atlanta. They're a team that's going to run the ball as much as possible. He's not going to be forced to make incredible reads. But if he can throw the ball 20 yards down the field, unlike Mariota, then that's already – a plus because Mariota has like five touchdowns and four interceptions this year, maybe even matching his touchdown interception ratio. And Desmond Ritter's 24, 25 years old. He's not a guy like Jordan Love that can sit behind quarterbacks for a couple of years. He's also not a high draft pick. I think he was either a third or fourth round pick. So Atlanta doesn't have much at stake for him. And if they can, if they continue to lose, Ritter's never going to get an opportunity and you're going to see a Jordan Love situation, but it's going to be even worse because with Jordan Love, he was a first round pick. They never played him. With Ritter, this is his only chance that he's ever going to get an opportunity because Jordan Love will get an opportunity down the stretch whenever whenever Rodgers leaves the Packers. But Ritter may not because he was a third or fourth round pick. He's already pretty old for a for a rookie quarterback, a lot like Hinton Hooker will be next year because he'll be 25 his rookie season, which a lot of people overlook. But Desmond Ritter needs to be thrown in right now. They are four and six. They are going to be the second best team in the NFC South regardless of what they do. The Saints and Panthers both suck. I don't care that the Panthers beat the Falcons. Those two teams are bad. So if I'm Atlanta, I'm throwing in Desmond Ritter right now, keeping the same offense, and I think that they would score more points offensively even even with taking the interceptions that you're going to get from a rookie quarterback because they've got a pretty decent defense and they've got a good run game. So it really wouldn't be throwing him into the fire. I think uh, obviously either of those quarterbacks as a rookie would still be younger, which is hard to believe at the age of 25, than Brandon Whedon. Brandon Whedon, his rookie year coming out of Oklahoma State, 28 years old. And we saw what he did. He didn't. Uh, I think he had one decent three or four game stretch and then was awful the rest of his NFL career. But he was the NFL's oldest first round draft pick in history. Brandon Whedon drafted. Guess what year he's drafted? It's been a while. It's when we first started collecting cards. 2012. Yep. 2012 on the die. He was the 22nd overall pick in that draft by guess. What do you mean? Which quarterback? Or sorry, which team drafted Brandon Whedon? Oh, the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and that just goes to show you they've had such a tough stretch. Uh, then they had Baker Mayfield. They thought he was the guy. Then they move Johnny on. Manziel now they bring in Desha- Deshaun Watson, and uh, he still hasn't played. 
Is Deshaun going to play his first game against Tampa Bay? Is that going to happen? No, it's against the Tex. It's against the Texans. Is his oh, first that's game. right. That's right. Yeah, and it's in Houston. Mm-hmm. We'll see how uh, fans react to that. We heard chants during the preseason in Jacksonville, where obviously I have no tie to uh, Deshaun Watson. In the preseason, we saw them boo Deshaun Watson. He overthrew his re- his receivers multiple times. I think he went what oh for five, something like that, in that preseason game. Now he's going back to the team that drafted him, a team in which he spent several years with playing at that stadium. The fans know what happened. They know what he's about. They know what the allegations are. He's going to get absolutely destroyed mentally and probably physically too. I'm not surprised if other teams just you know take shots at him and really try to – I'm not going to say go take his head off, but they're going to make sure he feels every hit whenever they get his hands on him or get their hands on uh, Deshaun Watson. But – Again, talking about the quarterback situations, Tom Brady, the Buccaneers are now 2-0 since his divorce. The Bucs are 5-5, five five, Spence. We saw it during their regular season in 2020 in which they went on a run. They won the, uh, won the Super Bowl eventually. We saw Leonard Fournette actually got spoken to by head coach at the time, Bruce Arians, about as he really dialed into the team. And a few weeks back, the same scenario happened as Leonard Fournette was on the sidelines upset that he lost snaps, lost reps to Rashad White there in the third quarter against the Rams. And then Rashad White, the rookie running back who had 100-plus yards this past week, went up to Leonard and said, hey, man, we need you. We need you to be a part of this team. Now with Rashad White rushing for 100 yards on Sunday against Seattle and Germany, and then him getting hurt, Leonard Fournette now has a hip pointer injury, which is getting underlooked. I think he might be out for a few weeks. And Greg Allman joined us on the Ronnie and T-Crash show today to talk a bit about that and said that, uh, in a nutshell, he's not too sure when Leonard Fournette would return. But do you think Rashad White's emergence as the Bucks running back hurts Leonard Fournette and his ego in terms of, is Leonard Fournette going to check out, or is he still dedicated to this team as they try to make a run with a lot of things going on? Devin White's stepfather passed away this week. Tom Brady got divorced. So much going on with the Buccaneers right now. Yeah, well, I thought it would affect him, but last week against the Seahawks, Rashad White started the game on the first drive. He was the running back on the first series. He's the new starter. That's going to be the thing going forward. But they're going to still split carries for the most part. Rashad White will end up getting a little bit more carries, kind of like Fournette was uh, earlier on in the season. But they could obviously see as soon as they gave Rashad White more touches, he's more explosive than Leonard Fournette. He can get, he can move behind the offensive line, even if they're not blocking great, because Fournette does not have the explosiveness. You saw the pitches to Rashad White work in which Fournette would have got stuffed for a loss of a yard. I think Rashad White is a starter moving forward. Obviously, it's going to it's gonna make Fournette a little bit angry, but he's going to accept his role eventually. This is last year in Tampa, most likely. Uh, I think he's an aging running back. I think Rashad White's going to take all the touches. He may get one more year in Tampa, but I don't think he's going to check out this season, but the hit pointer injury, I don't know if he's going to miss any games because of the bye week, but I do think he is the backup running back now. Yeah, and I think that's the right call. I think it could be a deadly one-two punch, even if the carries are closer to being 50-50. Having Leonard being that second guy, that power back, is a good move in my opinion. And he's still a good back. He's just not at his best right now. And when he is at his best, we've seen him run over guys, run through guys. Uh, He's fun to watch. But Rashad White is definitely the future in the backfield for the Buccaneers. Now the Philadelphia Eagles, they suffered their first loss of the season after going, what, 8-0 to start off this year. They were the last remaining undefeated team in the NFL. But fortunately for the Eagles, they fell short to the Washington Commanders at home on Thursday night. We saw that earlier, or Monday night. We saw that earlier this week, 32-21. to And then you look back at who the Eagles had beaten this season. 
the Lions, the Vikings, the Commanders earlier in the year, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Arizona Cardinals, the Dallas Cowboys, which was a key NFC East win, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Houston Texans as well. First and foremost, Spence, what did you see in that 32-21 loss for the Philadelphia Eagles as they suffered their first loss of this season, a game in which they came up short to Taylor Heineke, what was the backup quarterback for the Washington Commanders coming into the game? And this all happened on Monday Night Football. Yeah, the Eagles, their first eight weeks, didn't play great teams, but they went 8-0. That's the best start to the season. A lot of teams had similar schedules. And right now they're sitting at, what, 4-4, four and 5-4, four, 5-5. Five and four, five and five. So the Eagles did good with what they had to play against. And then last night against the Commanders, the first eight weeks, the Eagles only had three turnovers in total, which is an NFL record. Last night against the Commanders, they had three turnovers in that game, all recovered by the Commanders, two fumbles, one by a receiver on, a, on like a 50-yard catch, another one on what should have been a face mask. So the Eagles should have won that game. Uh, they end up 8-1 and one now, which isn't a big deal. The Commanders are going to be a tough team because they're in the same division, like the Cowboys game was, even though Cooper Rush was a starting quarterback. It was still a tough game. They had to grind it out. They lose to the Commanders, but down the stretch, this game isn't going to matter because they're good. They're going to be better than the Commanders for the entire season. The Commanders are five and five, which is pretty impressive considering what they've gone through. And Taylor Heineke is their starting quarterback. I don't know if that's going to be the case moving forward because they have some stuff invested in Carson Wentz. And Heineke last night didn't play a great game. I mean, he's one of the first quarterbacks ever to win on a sack that he took on purpose. So Heineke threw an interception, didn't throw a touchdown. He didn't look great in that game. He ran five times for 10 yards, not impressed with his game. So Carson Wentz may be the quarterback moving down the stretch as long as he can limit his turnovers. But from the Eagles, I saw just turnovers that lose them the game because they played a pretty good game. And I think the commanders came to play. I think they played great against that Eagles team. They were obviously wanting to win that game. It was a trap game for the Eagles. And with that being an NFC East rivalry, it's going to be a close game regardless. And the Eagles couldn't squeak it out. So I think the Eagles are going to be fine going down the stretch. I don't think that they are Super Bowl contenders, but they are going to be in the playoffs and they probably will win their first round at least. One play that we are uh, missing out on whenever you talk about Taylor Heineke. Yes, stats weren't very good. He didn't play a great game, but he did enough to win his team the game. Uh, obviously, that defense for the commanders led the way with three forced turnovers that they got. And that defense was feasting early on, too. I forget the safety's name, but he had a good game there for the Washington commanders. But Taylor Heineke did make one crucial, one critical throw. It was where the snap was over his head. He ran back probably 12, 15 yards to grab the loose ball grabbed the ball, threw it out of bounds, and that was perfect. If not, you're looking at a loss of maybe 15 yards, and I think that drive led to seven points. So if you take that drive or that particular play away from Taylor Heineke, could they have lost that game? Do you think that that would have been a play in which the Washington Commanders lose and uh, Philadelphia was able to take advantage of and eventually score seven points off? Yeah, they could have easily lost that game because the Eagles lost the game themselves. I mean, the Commanders played a good game. They took advantage of the opportunities that they were given by the Eagles putting the ball on the ground. But Heineke is a serviceable quarterback at best. He's not even as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick was on the Bucks. He hasn't really impressed at all. He's squeaking out close wins. It reminds me of Tim Tebow in 2010 whenever they made the playoffs and he threw that touchdown to Demarius Thomas in which they were winning every game in the last minute. Heineke's 3-1. and one. And I think two or three of those games have came down to the wire on the last drive. And I think that his luck's going to run out eventually. And people are going to once again, see that Heineke's not a great quarterback. We saw that last year whenever he got benched. So we'll see what happens with Taylor Heineke and the, in the, uh, the commanders, but I think the Eagles are going to be fine. I think the commanders are a pretty well put together football team under head coach Ron Rivera. That will be the case, but they're not going to be a playoff team regardless of who they have. So 
not very not a mu- very much important loss for the Eagles this week. I think that they're going to limit their turnovers. I think it was a wake up game for them. And you saw it after the game. AJ Brown, the receiver, said, "Hey, no more undefeated talk. I'm tired of that anyway. So I'm fine losing this game." He said. So I agree with that sentiment because the only other team to go undefeated in our lifetime is the Patriots, and they lost the Super Bowl to the wild card New York Giants. So I'm not really worried about regular season record as long as you're healthy and ready to go heading into the playoffs. You'll be fine. And that's going to be the important part going for the Eagles because they will be a playoff team. Yeah, and this Eagles team is much different than what we saw in 2020 with the undefeated uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe, through eight weeks. They were undefeated. No, it was, it was more like 11 weeks. Week 12. Yep, week 12. They suffered a loss to the Commanders as they uh, finally suffered their first loss of the season in 2020. I knew from the get-go that Pittsburgh were they were pretenders at that time in that season. But with the Philadelphia Eagles, I do believe they are contenders. They made an NFC playoff run last year. They played against the Buccaneers in the wild card in Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers just squeaked out a victory uh, in that game to move on and obviously push out the Philadelphia Eagles from playoff contention. Now, the NFC East consists of the Eagles at number one. Number two, the Dallas Cowboys sitting just a game back now, eight and one, and uh, Dallas seven and two. Who do you foresee winning this division is, uh, or correction, that's the New York Giants at number two uh, with a record of seven and two. The Dallas Cowboys six and three. Who do you see winning that division? I think it really is up for grabs as of right now. Uh, but if Philadelphia can get back to their winning ways, of course, and bounce back from this loss, they are the best team. But if they do go through a little bit of a, a spell in which they lose a few games, I could see Dallas creep up on uh, the Philadelphia Eagles this season for first place in the NFC East. Yeah, the Eagles are much better than the Giants. The Giants are the worst best team or the best worst team in the league. Seven and two for a team that barely wins every game by one score. Down the stretch, you're going to see that go away. I don't think that they're going to finish this season with above 11 wins. I think they'll probably end end this season 10 and seven at best, in my opinion. But we'll see how it goes down the stretch for them. But I think the Eagles are the clear runaway favorites in the NFC East, unless the Cowboys want to make a run with Dak Prescott at quarterback. But you saw them lose to the Packers last week. And CeeDee Lamb's 150-yard game was the first Cowboys game this season in which one of their receivers has gone over 100 yards. So it's not looking good for Dallas to make that run. But if they can, I still think the Eagles are going to finish this division in first place. All right, let's talk about another big hot topic, one of our big three here on the Chris Mathis Podcast. Follow us at TCM underscore pod on all social media. The Indianapolis Colts made a change at head coach firing Frank Reich last year, uh, last week, and they promote or they actually sign Jeff Saturday, who wasn't even in the building, former center for the Indianapolis Colts for years, 13 years, then played a year in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. He was the center for Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers, had a great NFL career, 14 years in the league, and now he's the official head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He actually helped the Colts win 25-20 to over a two-win Las Vegas Raiders football program uh, on Sunday, and it was in Las Vegas uh, obviously, Jeff Saturday was not in the building. He was actually working as an NFL reporter. I believe he's on NFL Network. I might, yeah, I believe it was NFL Network, a reporter there for uh, NFL Network. And now he is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He only has coaching experience at the high school level at Hebron Christian Academy. And back in 2018, when I was the voice of the Towns County Indians in Hiawassee, Georgia, I actually called a game in Towns County against Hebron Christian and you can see the photo right now on YouTube and or Spotify of Coach Jeff Saturday and myself. And never did I ever think that following that game, 
one day he would be an NFL head coach. And that's not because his team disappointed me that day. They won big over the Indians. It's just he was an anchor. And I didn't think that his aspirations were to be an NFL head coach. But now he is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Spence, weigh, on this, uh, weigh in on this. Talk about Jeff Saturday as head coach of the Colts. Look, after sitting on this on this hiring for over a week, I think I've changed for the most part my mind because Jeff Saturday was a consultant for the Colts for a couple of years now. He's been in and around the building talking to the offensive line. He finally gets control, but if you look at who they could have hired at interim head coach, a lot of the offensive and defensive coordinators are in their first or second year with the team, and they've struggled. So hiring a guy from within maybe, not, maybe wouldn't have been the best move. And this reminds me of hiring Dan Campbell like the Lions did a couple of years back because this is like hiring a Dan Campbell-type head coach but giving him a good roster because the Colts have a good defense put in place. They've got a good offensive line if they want to come and play. They've got a good running back if the offensive line can block. And they've got a veteran quarterback in which Jeff Saturday started after saying Ellinger was a quarterback. Jeff Saturday said on Thursday, this was the first time Matt Ryan had thrown in four weeks, over a month. And he said he saw Matt Ryan zipping the ball around, and he said, hey, this is our starter heading into this game against the Raiders. And he he had a great game. Matt Ryan played good. You saw the offensive line play great. And a lot of that comes down to Jeff Saturday. Probably he, chewed, he probably had to chew out that offensive line because they came to play, and you could see it because they are one of the highest-paid offensive lines in the entire NFL. And Jonathan Taylor broke off a 70-plus-yard touchdown run. He went over 100 yards for the second time this season in Jeff Saturday's first game as head coach. And they've got a new offensive coordinator. They've got a lot of new coaches in there. And Jeff Saturday, I think he simplified the offense, and I think that's what you saw. You saw the result on Sunday. A victory against a struggling Raiders team, but a victory nonetheless, and he's 1-0 as the head coach. Yeah, no doubt. The Indianapolis Colts now improved to, I believe, four wins now on the year. They're 4-5-1 and one second in the AFC South. Do you foresee this team being any true competition in the NFL? Was that just a fluke victory against a terrible Las Vegas Raiders football team in which we saw Derek Carr following the game, practically crying at his press conference about where the team is at, and also noted which I don't agree with crying out. Like, I get it's frustrating, but it's football at the end of the day. It is your job. It is your life. It is your passion. But you keep that in the locker room. You go tell those guys that in the locker room rather than crying out for help. And uh, I, I don't know if Derek Carr's the guy after that, honestly. But aside from Derek Carr's, go look it up on YouTube. You can see his emotional press conference. And you almost feel bad for the guy, but at the same time, you shouldn't. This guy's been in the league for so long. He has a lot of veterans on that team. Basically said not everybody's on the same page, which is a big no-no. Josh McDaniels, first-year head coach of the Raiders, is struggling. No surprise there. He's been in the NFL. He's struggled before. Uh, but I want to talk about Jeff Saturday. Do you think that that was a fluke victory over a terrible Las Vegas team? Because it could very well be looked at it like that. Or was that truly just a revitalized Indianapolis Colts team in which Jonathan Taylor showed out? Matt Ryan got a burst, and he showed out and was happy that he got a chance to start, went 21 of 28, looked solid. And as you said, it was his first game in over a month. Yeah, I want to talk about Derek Carr real quick because I don't know after crying, basically crying at the podium, talking about what you put into each and every week and you're two and seven. Well, that's that sound, it's a you problem. I don't even think a Raiders fan would want to hear that from their starting quarterback, sitting at two and seven, getting paid millions of dollars, to be the worst team in the AFC West. And that's saying a lot because the Denver Broncos are ahead of them at three and six. The Raiders are two and seven. They blew a 17 point lead last week. This week, they lose the first game head coach, Jeff Saturday. 
And Carr has looked awful. I mean, he I think he threw for 120 yards against the New Orleans Saints a couple of weeks ago, and they got pummeled by a horrible Saints team. They're not a good team, and I don't know how Derek Carr can really show his face in the locker room after starting the season 2-7, and seven, basically crying at the podium with the head coach Josh McDaniels, who just got reassured that he's going to get a second year with the Raiders. So I think that that franchise is completely turning around for the worst, and Derek Carr is not looking great. But going back to the Colts, I think they're second place in, the, in their AFC South. They are, what, one and a half games out of first place because of that tie against the Texans in week mm-hmm. two or one. So for the Colts, I mean, they've got a chance to run the table, quote unquote, if they want to continue to run the ball, if Matt Ryan can do good, if that offensive line can hold up, if Darius Shaq Leonard can stay healthy, they've got a chance, a lot of ifs, but the Tennessee Titans are six and three. They're not a great team, in my opinion. I don't. I think that they are, they are always a team that's going to see – you're going to see that they can win games. They can win games the hard way by running Derrick Henry. But last week you saw Derrick Henry get absolutely shut down. And that's that. teams are just going to watch that footage and see how to shut down the gigantic Derrick Henry because Tannehill's not a good quarterback and neither is Malik Willis. And they have the worst receiving core I think I have ever seen. They don't have a good tight end. They are not a good team. So the Colts have a chance to win that AFC South still. And if they want to win two out of the next three, they may be in first place in that AFC South if teams can learn how to stop Derrick Henry, which I think they will coming down the stretch because the Titans have nothing going for them in the passing attack. So if Jeff Saturday can do a good job leading these guys, this good roster that he has, I think they'll be fine because this is a lot like Dan Campbell with the Lions, but you're giving him a better roster. This is like giving Dan Campbell this Colts roster. I'm sure the Colts would be probably a game better than they are right now if Dan Campbell was the head coach this entire year with that roster because he sparks a fire into the players. And that's what I think a player coach can do for an offensive line, for an offense in general, because I'm sure he's not touching the defense barely at all, if at it, if any. So I think that they've got a chance to run the table. If they if they can win two out of the next three, I'll, I'll look at them as a true contender. If, they, if Saturday can start off his coaching career three and one, they've got a great shot. And I don't think the Titans are going to get any better unless Malik Wills comes in there and starts to learn how to sit in the pocket and not try and run backwards 20 yards on each and every throw. So before we get into our NFL picks for this week, we'll get into that here in just a moment, guys, right here on the Chris Mathis podcast. Chris Mathis joined by my co-host, Spencer Mathis. Uh, The thing with Jeff Saturday being the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, it was never for me that he didn't know enough about football or that he didn't know how to lead men. It was more or less of the fact that there are so many other guys in that locker room on that coaching staff that have much more experience. They've had some success. Of course, they've had some failures too. But if you're a coach in that locker room, say the defensive coordinator, would you be upset with the fact that they bring a new guy to to become the head coach of this team? Just, you know, at the flip of a coin, hey, here's Jeff Saturday. He's the new head coach of this team. Well, you got to think about it this way. An interim head coach is a trial head coach. And whenever an interim head coach does good, you barely ever, if at all, see that interim head coach become the actual head coach the next season. They hire from they hire from outside again. So this is the first time we're seeing a player coach in the NFL for the most part coming straight with no experience at all. You see this a lot in the NBA. You saw this with Steve Nash, a couple of NBA coaches. It's It happens in other sports. The MLB, this happens. So mm-hmm. I think that this, this may be the NFL trending in a different direction if Jeff Saturday can do good. He could be a pioneer for former players who don't want to go through all the tedious task of becoming a, a high school head coach and then a college offensive coordinator. You get promoted to D1 finally. You got to go through a couple more schools. Then you got to win a national championship. And then you become an NFL offensive coordinator. You have to continue to win. And then you're a head coach. With Jeff Saturday, he was a high school head coach. He was a great football player. 
obviously he was a leader of that team. You can go back and watch the locker room. Even whenever Peyton Manning was the quarterback, he was the true leader of that team. If you ever go back and watch their Super Bowl victory back in 2007 or 2008. So I think he's a good leader. I think that this is a good trial. And this may be one of the times where an interim head coach becomes the actual head coach next season. If he can have this team, the Colts team that was dead to right, looking at no playoffs this year after spending all that money on a quarterback once more, if they make the playoffs, I think this guy may be the head coach next season. But then you go back to the Raiders last year. They had an interim head coach, their special teams coordinator. He took them to the playoffs. They barely lost their playoff game. If you remember, Derek Carr led them down the field on the final drive. They couldn't punch in the two-point conversion. They lose. He's fired. So then they hired Josh McDaniels, who is not a good head coach. We've seen that over and over again. He was a good offensive coordinator for the Patriots back in the 2010 era. With Tom Brady. Yeah, with the greatest quarterback of all time. He gets with sent Bill to Belichick. City, and he's not good again. I mean, you saw him fail in Denver back whenever they had Tim Tebow. You see him failing now. They're 2-7 and seven with one of the best rosters in the NFL, at least in terms of money spent on the offensive side of the football. So I think this is a good hiring for the Colts now that you look back at it. Obviously, this is biased because they did win their first game of the season, but they looked so much better and so much more improved than what they've looked like this entire year that it, I think it's enough to make a difference. And we may see Jeff Saturday become the head coach if they can make the playoffs. And if they win a playoff game, I think he's the next head coach of that team because you already know that he's a great leader, and that's why Jim Irsay called him first. You talked about uh, Jeff Saturday and his prior experience as head coach of Hebron Christian Academy and all that came with being a high school football head coach earlier today, and I don't have any details uh, as to why or what led to this, but I know a lot goes into becoming a high school football head coach. My friend Michael Clayton used to play with the Buccaneers. He was the NFL Rookie of the Year with the Buccaneers also was a standout wide receiver for the LSU Tigers years ago. He was the head coach of the Plant City football team here in Tampa Bay. Head coach Michael Clayton informed Plant City that he is not returning as head coach. So now they, at a high school level midseason, as of today, promoted their defensive coordinator, uh, Terrence Hicks, to interim head coach. So I don't know. I don't want to speculate. Of course, uh, I talk with Michael Clayton on a weekly basis here. He does the Buccaneers pregame show with Tom Krasnicki on 95.3 every Buccaneers game, two hours before the game right here on WDAE. And I am in the iHeartRadio, iHeartMedia, Tampa Bay podcast studios as we record. But either way, you expect or you'd like to think that there was a lot that goes into becoming a head coach at the high school level, dealing with parents being one of them. And, and I have no idea. Again, I haven't talked to Michael Clayton as to why he stepped down as head coach. But that kind of, he's a former NFL player. He's a former college football standout. And uh, he is no longer a high school football head coach. Now let's dive right into our NFL picks for this week. And we'll start off with those Tennessee Titans. You talk about Ryan Tannehill, Thursday night football. They'll take on the Green Bay Packers, 8-15 kickoff tomorrow night. Green Bay 4-6, and six, Tennessee 6-3. Six and three. And uh, in this game at Lambeau Field, the Green Bay Packers are three-point favorites after we saw a great performance from a rookie wide receiver with the Green Bay Packers last week. Yeah, this tells you a lot about a 6-3 and three Titans team, that they are the underdogs to the 4-6 and six Packers who just came off of a five-game losing streak, and they're the underdogs. I get that Lambeau, this game's in Lambeau Field, obviously plays a factor, but it shows that the Titans, they just they don't have the offense to compete, and if Aaron Rodgers and his receivers can continue to be on the same page, I think the Packers are going to run away with this game. I'm going to go Packers in this game. Uh, I'm going to go Packers by over a touchdown. I'm with you. For some reason, I've got Aaron Rodgers clicking again offensively. 
And uh, I don't know. I think they have a big game here against the Tennessee Titans. It is at home. It's probably going to be bone-chilling-like weather. I know in Blairsville where you're at, it's, it's already cold, and there was snow this weekend, which is crazy to me. I wake up, and it's it's 67, you know, when I get up, and it warms up to low 80s here in Tampa, Florida. Now the Philadelphia Eagles, they'll take on the Indianapolis Colts. The Eagles just six-and-a-half-point favorites on Sunday in Indy, and the Eagles are coming off of a loss on Monday Night Football to the Commanders. The Colts are coming off a victory over the Las Vegas Raiders. They're at home. Spence, again, the Eagles, six-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. Yeah, I like the Eagles in this game. I do like Jeff Saturday as a coach, but this is going to be a tough task to beat the 8-1 and one Eagles. Obviously, they just lost to a commander's team that's pretty similar to this Colts team, but I think that the Eagles are going to sure up a lot of stuff heading into this week, and the Eagles are going to win this game by over 6.5. Yeah, I think the I think the Philadelphia Eagles maybe win like a 34-10, 34-13 type of game in Indy uh, on Sunday. The Los Angeles Rams, they'll take on the New Orleans Saints. They're in New Orleans. Saints are four-point favorites. We saw Cooper Cup get placed on the IR earlier today. Uh, Rams, three and six. New Orleans Saints, not much better. They're three and seven, and Andy Dalton is not it. I don't know if they have their future quarterback on the roster, but they're wasting a great talent in Chris Olave. Saints are four-point favorites at home. Yeah, if Matthew Stafford's playing, I'm taking the Rams. But I'm just going to go with the Saints in this game regardless because Cooper Cup is out, and Matthew Stafford this year as the quarterback for the Rams is targeting white wide receivers at an all-time high pace of 97% of his passes are heading to a white wide receiver. So with Cooper Cup out, they've only got two other white wide receivers. It's going to be tough for him, Ben Skoranek who plays a lot of fullback, is going to get a ton of targets. Higby is going to get a ton of targets. But I don't think it's going to be Matthew Stafford because they're 3-6. and I think the Saints are going to win this game because Cooper Cup is out. That is their entire offense. And I don't think Allen Robinson has done anything to show that he's going to be targeted any more than these white receiver counterparts on that Rams team. So I'm going to go with the Saints in this game. The Saints suck. The Rams suck. But the Saints suck a little bit less if Stafford's out. So I'm going to go with the Saints because I'm just going to go ahead and say Stafford's not going to play in this game. Uh, Yeah, huge loss there for the Rams. Either Stafford being out and also Cooper Cup being placed on the IR. I was at the Bucs game against the Rams at Raymond James a few weeks back. Cooper Cup hadn't done anything in the first quarter. He had a bad ankle. And then I was thinking to myself, hey, Cooper Cup hasn't done anything. The Bucs are doing a good job. Next play, huge play. And I'm like, oh, man, Cooper Cup. And then Cooper Cup racked up, I think, over 100 total yards in that game against the Buccaneers. I've got the Saints winning this one at home. They need a win, and they need it now. I don't think that they – well, actually, I say all that to say the Bucks first place, they're 5-5. Five and five. The Saints have won three games. I do think the Saints are done. However, mathematically, they are far from done. The Atlanta Falcons will host the Chicago Bears. The Falcons are three-point favorites there in Atlanta. We saw uh, Justin Fields do some crazy feats as of late. I think the Bears have ran for 250-plus yards in five consecutive games. First time in NFL history. Falcons 4-6, and Bears 3-7. and Yeah, this is going to be an absolute run fest, and I'm going to go with Atlanta in this game just because I've seen the Bears. Even though Justin Fields has looked amazing in the last two games, they haven't been able to pick up a win. He broke the record for most rushing yards in a game. Uh, He's done a lot of – he's broken a lot of records over the last two weeks for the Bears, but 
I think the Falcons are a team that knows how to win a game when it comes down to it. The Bears are a team that does not. First-year head coach Matt Eberflus over there in Chicago. So I'm going to take the Falcons in this game. I think I'm going to take the Falcons by four at the most in this game because it's going to be a run fest. I think it's going to be close the entire game, and it's going to come down to a first-down run by one of the Falcons' tailbacks because that's all they can do successfully. Uh, You know what? I'm going to take the Bears in this game. I think Justin Fields gets enough done uh, to win that game, and we're still waiting for the emergence of uh, who the receiver that they just got in Chicago. Chase Claypool. Yeah, Chase Claypool. Still waiting for him to really break out onto the scene, and I think well, he does I mean, it's, that. It's tough, it's tough for a receiver to break out in that Chicago Bears offense because their offensive line collapses on every single play, and if you look at all these touchdown runs by Justin Fields, he's running for his life until he breaks the line of scrimmage, and Justin Fields really is a guy that's going to look at one read and he's going to scramble away. It's not going to look good for Chase Claypool. I don't know if he's going to be too excited. I mean, the Steelers weren't a good team either, but going to a team that really does not throw the football down the field at all is going to be difficult for him to have a coming out game. I don't think he will at all this season. We'll see what happens down the road. Maybe he will. Maybe that offensive line can hold up. Maybe Justin Fields will look down the field and throw some 50-50 balls that we've been missing. But I don't know if Chase Claypool is going to get very many targets down the he's stretch. Do it, uh, he'll do it this week as I write it on my screen as we speak on YouTube and Spotify. Uh, 75 yards and a touchdown for Chase Claypool there with the Chicago Bears in a victory on the road against the Atlanta Falcons. The Houston Texans host the Washington Commanders there in Houston. The Commanders, three and a half point road favorites. Yeah, I'm going to take the Commanders in this game regardless of who's starting at quarterback. The Texans suck. Commanders win this game. I'm going to take the Commanders as well. Houston is tanking. They've got the best head coach in NFL history in order to tank, and that is Lovey Smith, our guy who used to be the head coach of the Buccaneers. The New York Jets travel to uh, East, no, not East, rather, Foxborough, and they'll take on the New England Patriots. And New England, three point favorites, some way, somehow. They're six and three, or the Jets are six and three. The Patriots, five and four this year. Jets, second place in the AFC East, and the Patriots are fourth at five and four. Who do you have in this game? The Patriots are going to pass up the Jets here. This will be their second victory against the Jets this season. Zach Wilson is just not a good quarterback. He is at, He's holding back that Jets franchise. And you kind of wish that Trevor Lawrence maybe would have gone to the Jets yeah. last season because that would have been a much better fit than the Jaguars. I think for Zach both, Wilson... For, yeah, for both. Yeah, Zach Wilson's a guy that, that would play decently in, in Jacksonville because they have nothing around him and there would always be that hope of potential for him. But the Jets being the record that they have, a great record this season, you can definitely tell that Zach Wilson is holding them back completely and I think the Patriots are going to run away with this game. Yeah, I think the Patriots win this game, too. If Tom Krasnicki, who grew up a Jets fan, doesn't believe in Zach Wilson, a young quarterback, I don't believe in him either. The New York Giants still host the Detroit Lions. The Giants are three-point favorites for this 1 o'clock kickoff on Sunday. Yeah, the Lions on a two-game win streak, beating the Packers 15-9, to and then last week they squeaked out a one-point victory over the Bears they're a team that can win close games, and that's the only time they're going to win these games. They only lost to the Dolphins 31-27 to a couple of weeks ago, so I think the Lions are turning it around. If Jared Goff can get back to where he was at the beginning of this season when he was thrown for 400 yards every week and three touchdowns to Amon Ross St. Brown, that would be great right now because that Lions defense is finally stepping up. And then you look over at the Giants this week, they barely beat the they barely beat the Texans. I mean, they beat the Texans by eight points, but Davis Mills had two turnovers within the 20-yard line, and the Texans could have beat the, the Giants. And like I said earlier, the Giants are the worst, best team in the NFL. So I think the Lions are going to squeak out a victory here by two points. I'm going to take uh, – I'm going to go with the Giants. I think they cover that three-point spread. Now, the biggest spread of the week – 
The Baltimore Ravens host the Carolina Panthers. Baker Mayfield is the official starter for the Carolina Panthers on the road as they take on the Baltimore Ravens. The line, 12.5 points. Ravens are favorites in this game at home. It's a 1 o'clock kickoff. Yeah, I've seen some big spreads this season. I mean, you go back to that Buccaneers-Panthers game in which the Buccaneers were favored by two touchdowns, a 14-point favoring. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to take the Panthers in this game because anytime I see a team in the NFL being favored by more than 10 points, it usually doesn't go well for the team that is supposed to beat the other squad by 12 or so points because that's just that's like a college spread. That's something that you see each and every week in college. In the NFL, these games are usually within five points. The games that are blowouts are the games that are supposed to be great games between two really good teams and one team pulls away. Games like this in which it's the Baltimore Ravens who are a pretty good team against one of the worst teams in the NFL, the Panthers, who are coming off a victory. They've got a new quarterback in, Baker Mayfield. He hasn't really played very much this season. He played a little bit at the beginning of the season. He came in a couple of weeks ago, threw two touchdowns in the second half, put up 21 points in that 42-21 to 21 loss to the Bengals. But this week, I think I think the I'm going to pick the Panthers in this game. I'm going to take the Panthers to come out on top against the Ravens. I'm taking the the Panthers to lose this game. I think the Ravens win this game. But I will say, uh, Panthers, if we are picking against the spread, I think that the Ravens win, but it's not by 13 points or more. The Buffalo Bills they'll host the Cleveland Browns one o'clock. Bills eight and a half point favorites. We saw the Bills. You've caught out uh, quarterback Josh Allen the past couple of weeks for some of his throws, and uh, I'm with you. And I think. Uh, yeah, Ronnie Knight, Train Lane also agrees with you, Spence. I told him what you said, and he's pointed out uh, Josh Allen's flaws in the red zone in particular, forcing passes, and he has an injury with his elbow, and he made a tackle on an interception or a fumble last week with that elbow, and he and he's hurt, and he's making stupid plays like that. He's still a good quarterback, don't get me wrong. It's just a weird spell right now for Josh Allen. They suffered a loss last week in overtime to the Minnesota Vikings, a sleeper team. They'll host the Cleveland Browns, eight-and-a-half-point favorites on Sunday. Well, I think of the Bills a lot like I thought of the Rams last season in which the Rams were so good at the beginning of the year and then they go on a three or four game losing streak. They end up winning the Super Bowl, of course, but they had they had chances to lose in each and every playoff game. They're a team that's going to compete, of course. The Bills are a lot like that Rams team. Right now, they're on a losing streak of two games. I think this is game number three in which they lose because the Browns have to win these next two games against the Buffalo Bills and they got to beat Tampa next week if they want a chance at the playoffs whenever Deshaun Watson comes back because being at five and six whenever you get D. Watson back is exactly where the where the Jacoby Brissett-led Browns were expected to be at. And if they can reach that somehow by beating the Bills and the Bucks or just one of the two, that would be huge because this is the biggest game of the year right now for the Browns. They've got to get back to the run game because that's the only time that they have any sort of success. Kevin Stefanski is obviously a horrible head coach. I think we learned that in Baker Mayfield's last start against TJ mm-hmm. Watt last season, in which TJ yep. Watt tied the sack record with four sacks in the week 18 in the week 17 game, in which Baker Mayfield had a hurt throwing arm. So he's banged up bad. Yeah, so I don't believe in Kevin Stefanski, but if they decide to come out there and run the ball against the Bills, in which the Bills do not have a good defensive line to stop the run, I think the Browns could squeak out a victory, and the Browns are a team that have played close games. This is a must-win for the Browns, so I'm going to take the Browns in this game, and the the Bills are only favored by eight, being one of the best teams in the league. Kind of shows a little bit about what Vegas thinks about this game as well. So the Browns in this game by three. I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills. I think Josh Allen corrects his red zone mistakes. He leads the NFL in interceptions right now. For those of you that have not kept up with the statistics, he is, I think, the best quarterback in the NFL right now as well. But he has Patrick Mahomes is much better. Patrick Mahomes, get out of here with all that. Uh, But I do think that Josh Allen is going to correct everything uh, on Sunday or at least look a lot better in the red zone, that is, than the Bills 
They pick up another victory coming off of a heartbreaking loss in overtime against the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday. The Las Vegas Raiders take on the Denver Broncos, a matchup we saw a few weeks back. And the Broncos at home, just two and a half point favorites, four o'clock kickoff, four o five kickoff. Yeah, before the season began, the AFC West was supposed to be the greatest division of all time. You had the Chiefs, you had the Chargers, you had the Denver Broncos led by Russell Wilson. And then you had the Raiders that just signed Devontae Adams. Right now you have the Raiders at two and seven, the Broncos at three and six, the Chargers just lost. I think they're five and four or something. Not horrible, but not as good as you expected. This AFC West is a runaway for the Chiefs because the Chiefs are a great team. They just added a good receiver in Kadarius Tony, which yeah, they really needed. They really needed Kadarius Tony because their best receiver was Juju Smith-Schuster. And his entire career, he's been a slot receiver for the most part with the Steelers. So getting a guy like Kadarius Tony that can stretch the field is huge. But not talking about those teams, we're talking about the Raiders and the Broncos. I don't think Russell Wilson is good. I don't think their offensive line is good. I don't think the Raiders are good. I don't think Derek Carr is a good quarterback. I'm going to take a tie here between the Raiders and the Broncos. Oh, calling for a tie and Denver. Denver Broncos, two and a half point favorites. I'll take, man, I don't know. If I look at my quarterback and he's crying after a game, I, I'm giving it all I got. I, I am embarrassed at the same time, but I am giving it all I got. I, I got the Raiders to win this game in Denver, 405 kickoff. Sounds crazy, but I mean, come on. Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, they have to step up. And uh, hopefully it's a wake-up call. We saw Tom Brady call out his guys for their effort last week on his podcast. Derek Carr calls out some of his teammates for not being on the same page. Devontae Adams, the star wide receiver, also says the same thing. Some guys don't have the same mindset. I'm taking the Raiders on the road against Denver on Sunday. Uh, another big AFC matchup, the Cincinnati Bengals travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. The visiting Bengals, four-and-a-half-point favorites in this one. Yeah, this is usually a great matchup. The, these two teams are always rivals. You've got Mason Rudolph versus Joe Shiesty. I think the Bengals are coming off of a bye week uh, last week. So yep. I'm going to take the Bengals in this game. I think the Steelers are absolute trash, but I think it's going to be less than four and a half points. I think it's going to be a three-point win because these are usually really close games. They have been forever. Ever since I was like five years old, these two teams would always go at it. That entire division, in fact, always goes at it with the Browns, Steelers, Bengals. I mean, that's a great division over there. And those games, this is probably the biggest rivalry uh, teams in the NFL in one single division. So I'm going to take the Bengals in this game, of course, because I think the Steelers are absolute dog water. TJ Watt is coming back, though. That's huge for the Steelers. But yeah. I'm going to take the Bengals in this game by three. I think TJ Watt's uh, re reunion with the team coming back from his injury is why this spread is four and a half points. Yeah. I think if TJ Watt was out, this is probably more like a six and a half point spread. I am taking the Bengals to win this game. I am taking the Bengals to cover the spread as well and win by a touchdown or more. The Dallas Cowboys are one point road favorites over the Minnesota Vikings. 425 kickoff. Vikings coming off a huge overtime win against Josh Allen and the Bills. Yeah, this is the game of the week, obviously. I mean, Cowboys-Vikings, I'm, I'm taking the Cowboys in this game. I think the Vikings used up all their luck on that one-yard line bobbled exchange between the center and quarterback Josh Allen, then that overtime victory with the interception by Patrick Peterson, in which Josh Allen threw another boneheaded interception that he has done for the past two weeks against the Packers. He threw two horrible interceptions to keep the Packers in the game at all. That, that game was trending towards a blowout. This week, Josh Allen loses his team the game. So I'm going to have to choose the Vikings to lose this game against the Cowboys. And I think this gives this gives the Cowboys a great chance to climb up in the leaderboard in that NFC East because I got the Giants losing. I've got the Eagles maybe squeaking out a victory against the Colts. I think it's going to be a close game. I've got the Eagles winning that one. But this would move the Cowboys up into second place in the NFC East 
Of course, the Vikings can lose their game. It doesn't really matter for them. But I'm going to go with the Cowboys in this game. I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings with the spread in particular. I think the Vikings at least cover that spread. Maybe the Cow. Well, you know what? No, it's a coin toss. You have to pick one or the other. I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings at home. Sunday night football, we've got the Kansas City Chiefs. Your favorite or the best quarterback, according to you right now in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes squares off with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. They've been a disappointment. The Chargers 5-4. and four. Chiefs are 7-2 and two without Tyreek Hill this year. Uh, and looking here at the spread, the Chiefs are 6.5-point favorites on the road. I mean, these games are usually close, and the Chargers are a team that plays close games. We're gonna the, the Chiefs are going to be tested this week. They're going to be without Juju Smith-Schuster, who got absolutely leveled last week. He has a concussion, no TikToks for at least a week for him, not enough screen time. But Patrick Mahomes is by far and away the best quarterback in the NFL this season. 25 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, averaging 330 yards per game. Of course, they can't run the football because their starting running back is Clyde Edwards-Alaire. They've got a backup that's Got some juice, but he fumbles. Ronald Jones didn't even make the team. He's still on the practice squad, or they cut him. You have the Chargers, who just came off of a a loss, I believe. Justin Herbert didn't play good in that loss on Monday night. Threw a pick. Austin Eckler is a pretty good running back, so that's going to help them a lot. I think the Chiefs are going to squeak out a win. They're going to move on. I, I just can't see the Chargers winning this game. I know it's always a close game. The Chargers have had the Chiefs numbers over the last couple of years. But I think the Chiefs are going to win this game behind Patrick Mahomes. I think he throws five touchdowns. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I think the Chargers have been an absolute letdown. Justin Herbert has struggled this year. I know he's banged up. He's still got a bit of a an, an or a, a rib injury that he suffered a few weeks back. But he's been a disappointment to me. And again, I said it last week. I wish I would have sold my rookie card of him uh, last year. But it got a, a little bit over $200 for something I bought. What you got? I still have two as rookie card that you traded me. Oh, yeah. He's hot he's, right now. He's right now, dude. He's looking yeah. like the best quarterback out of that class at the I moment. Uh, Jalen Hurts is right there. I don't think so. I think two has shown a little bit more. Tua was seven and two as a starter last year. This year, he's undefeated when he finishes a game. Tua is very accurate. He's the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. He's basically a left handed Drew Brees at this time. And he's got probably the best receiving core in the league, the two fastest receivers in the league on one team, a good tight end in Mike Gasecki. I think the Dolphins are a team coming down the stretch that are going to go on a run. I think that that's one of the NFC championship teams. And I think at the moment, yeah, AFC championship teams at the moment, I've got the chiefs versus the Dolphins. If the season were to end today in that AFC championship. And I wouldn't be shocked to see Tua win that game because he is, he's just so smart with the football. And I think that, that their head coach is also a pretty good head coach. So I like the Dolphins right now. I don't think, Justin Herbert's looking great. I talked about his throwing motion going back to last year, this year. It's slow. Their offensive line, if he doesn't get enough time, isn't going to be great. He doesn't check down the ball enough. He's looking for 50-yard throws, and you can you just know that doesn't work in the NFL very often because the greatest quarterback of all time is the quarterback that checks down the ball the check most of all game. time. And then you see right now Patrick Mahomes is learning how to do that as well. He's got 25 touchdowns, seven interceptions on the season. And with no deep threats, he's becoming a check down Charlie as well. That can also extend the field. Herbert, I think, will eventually get to that point, but right now he doesn't have it, and Tua does because his deep ball to, to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle is also on point, but he only goes for that three or four times a game, not every play like Herbert. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, that's exactly why I'm taking the Kansas City Chiefs in this game on the road. Give me the points as well. The Chiefs prevail. Monday Night Football, we're wrapping up with this right here on the Chris Mathis Podcast. Thanks for sticking around. The San Francisco 49ers play against the Arizona Cardinals and Glendale 49ers. 
eight-point road favorites. And I know basically when you're a 49ers fan or a 49ers player, you've got all the fans right there. No matter what stadium it is, the 49er fans travel well. It's going to be a home game there practically for the 49ers. They're eight-point favorites in Glendale, Arizona, 8-15 kickoff Monday night. Yeah, I'm at a bit of a crossroads in this and game. Because... Out, I will say it, it, it's in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, I'm at a yeah. I'm at a bit of a crossroads in this game because this is a must win for the Cardinals. If they win this game, they pass up the 49ers in that NFC West, Crazy. or they're actually maybe a half game back or tied with them because the 49ers just had their bye week. So this is a huge game for the Cardinals. I really like the 49ers. I really like their weapons on offense. I think they've got a really good defense, but their quarterback is not the guy. Right now, if they if they would have went out on a limb in 2020 and got Tom Brady, they may be talking about winning their second or third Super Bowl in a row. Instead, they're, they've been stuck with Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance. Lance got hurt. He wasn't the guy either way. And I think I'm going to take the Cardinals in this game. But next year, I'm going to be taking the 49ers a lot because I think that's where Tom Brady is going to go after this season with the Bucs. Hopefully, he wins the Super Bowl. They're at least going to make the playoffs. This is definitely Tom Brady's last season in Tampa, but I don't think it's Tom Brady's last season in the NFL. He's always wanted to play for the 49ers, and if he were to join that 49ers team today, they are probably the favorites in the NFC to win the Super Bowl. I agree. I don't don't think that Tom Brady is done. I don't think Tom Brady returns to Tampa either. I do think it would be a bit of a challenge at age 46 to come back, not only play football, but to learn a new playbook, a new scheme, gel with a whole new group of guys. But if there is one guy that can do it, it is Tom Brady. We saw him do it in 2020 with the Buccaneers. Again, they had a loaded roster, but I don't know if it's as loaded as the 49ers have right now. Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, uh, George Kittle, just to name a few. Also have some other talent there, too. And a good offensive line. A solid defense, too, with San Francisco. Uh, and obviously, he's got family ties, too. His parents are from that area. He grew up a 49ers fan. What better way to go out than one last year in the NFL with the 49ers with a great cast Great around him. Roster. Kyle Shanahan, a head coach. You've got John Lynch as the general manager of the team, a guy that wants to win now. Why not go to the 49ers? And we might see that next year. Otherwise, Tom Krasnicki says maybe the Las Vegas Raiders, and that's why we saw Josh McDaniels get that go-ahead for next year. He says, hey, you know, if you guys give me that green light, there's a chance I'm here next year. I can work on getting Tom Brady's, whereas if – if I'm out, there's no shot of you guys landing Tom Brady, but I have that personal connection. I have that chemistry, that vibe, that success with Tom Brady, that rapport with Tom Brady from my time in New England. I think I can bring him in. And Tom Crest, Nicky, truly believes that there could be a chance for Tom Brady to end up with the Raiders. And then he has Devontae Adams. He has Josh Jacobs. He has Darren Waller. He has a decent team there. Of course, uh, the, the the receiver in the slot who's been struggling this year um, as well. Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro as well, but they've got a decent team. They're a team that's much better than two and seven. I just don't believe in their head coach with Las Vegas. Again, I'm taking the 49ers on the road. I don't know if it's by eight points, but I do think they win this game. And that does it for the Chris Mathis podcast right here. Hey, check us out on social media, TCM underscore pod. And we'll keep you guys updated on talk to him Tuesday guest. We had one lined up. It just kind of fell through with this practice schedule. That's Tucker Holloway of the Virginia Tech football team who had a punt return for a touchdown just two weekends ago. He's a true freshman at Virginia Tech. He was unable to join this week. We're still troubleshooting for him. Maybe a guy in Kyle Morlock, former Union County football standout now, currently at Shorter University, a great tight end, one of the best in his conference. He might join us on the podcast, but there's only one way for you guys to know, and that's to follow us on social media at TCM underscore pod and also our personals at the Chris Mathis 
and L. Spencer Mathis. Or L. Savage Spence on Twitter as well. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week. If we don't hear from you guys next week or vice versa, I hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you soon.